This is Ashley Wilson, and this is the Empowered 21 Leadership Podcast. I'm here today with my great friend, Reuven Duran. Reuven is the Director of Ministerial Relations for Sar El Tours, a great business in Israel. Uh, and we're going to talk with Reuven a little bit in a separate podcast about uh, what it means to come to Israel and why believers should come to Israel. But Reuven's also a great friend, and he has a powerful testimony. And so I think uh, it's important for him to share uh, his testimony with the Empowered 21 audience and uh, give people a chance to hear how a Jew came to Jesus in a supernatural way. So, Reuven, we're glad to have you today uh, for this podcast. Thanks for joining us. Reuven, why don't you tell us just a little bit background about yourself, and, and then let's talk about kind of how you came to faith in Jesus. Thanks for having me, Ashley. Pleasure. Well, like every great person on the face of the earth, I was born at a very young age, very close to my mother. You've heard that one before. And I tell you, every Jew who comes to faith is a supernatural ex- yeah, exact, it's a supernatural encounter. Especially at this day and age. The promises of God are true. The scriptures are clear. He promised a move of the Spirit amongst our people, the Jewish people. But uh, Jeremiah said that we will come, one from a clan, two from a family. It's going to be kind of hit and miss for a while until the great national revival hits. Yeah. Well, I came to Jesus exactly 40 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Actually, we just That's exciting. just celebrated the anniversary at yeah. home. Biblically significant. Yeah, I, I, it's time for me to come out of the wilderness. Huh? <laughs> All right, good. You're say. going into your promised I'm, land I'm now. coming out of the closet. Wonderful. <laughs> I came to faith 40 blessed years ago, Ashley, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. I was, I was past my military service. You know, in Israel, everybody uh, is an old yeah. soldier. Served in the wars, buried too many friends, went to travel around the world just to get my head screwed on right. Ran into all sorts of trouble and ended up in Arizona State University. Ended up going to school at ASU. That's a long way from Tel Aviv. A long ways from home. In fact, I was trying to get as far away from home as possible. I didn't want to talk Hebrew. I didn't want to eat falafel. I didn't want to do a national holidays. I wanted a break sure. from things Jewish. Sure. And, uh, and the campus in Tempe, Arizona was perfect. 30,000 students with six Israelis. Oh, wow. So we just all vanished in the crowd. You were a, a, high, I, a very low minority. I was undercover. <laughs> and I thought I was just minding my own business and, you know, working, living, uh, doing my stuff. I was an unbelieving, secular Israeli, hardened, ex-military, blood on my hands. I wasn't looking for God, but he had my name in the book. And little did I know, Ashley, there was a Christian, a humble, simple guy named Frank, uh, living in Phoenix, Arizona, actually, who read the book, who believed the prophecies, and who figured he'll do something about it. And he started to pray, simply to pray. Every day, Frank prays, Lord, give me one Jew. That's it. Every day, he says, Lord, one Jew. It's a powerful prayer. Keep him. It was for you anyway. Right? It was for me. And I don't know him. I don't know God. I don't know anything. I'm just a selfish guy living for myself darkened and proud and full of myself. And he's praying every day, Lord, one Jew. Keep him, preserve him, bring him to me. Frank praised me through the wars. He praised me through the drug culture. He praised me through all manner of shenanigans and trouble. And 10 years into his prayer, I'm knocking on his door. Yeah. And, you know, we call it the divine appointment. It was a God thing. Sure. If there was ever a God thing. And the funny thing, Ashley, is that he didn't like me. You'd think he would be all over me. Ten years of praying. Yeah, ten years of praying. The guy's going to be excited to share the gospel with his Jew. 
Frank didn't like me at all. He told me later in retrospect, he says, listen, you were proud, you were hardened, you were a womanizer. I wouldn't want you to date my daughters. So he's asking the Lord. Now he's arguing with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. He says, God, Lord. I prayed for it, but yeah. I don't like what you sent me. Give me another Jew. <laughs> <laughs> so Frank is zipped his mouth. I mean, he, for three months, we have a relationship going on. Pretty intensive relationship. I saw him a few times a week. He doesn't tell me a word about Jesus or the gospel or the truth of God because he's arguing with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Give me another Jew. Well, those arguments are futile. The Lord always wins. Eventually, Frank opened his mouth, and the moment he spoke the word of God to me, it's like a fire got a hold of me. I remember the day when he told me, I asked him, why, why do you want to study the Bible? He confessed to me that he wanted to learn a little bit of Hebrew, yeah. and he wanted to read a little bit of the Bible in the original Hebrew text. And I told him, why? There's nothing in the Bible. I said, we know it from cover to cover. We studied in Hebrew through 12 years of, of, grad, of, of school, of grammar school and middle school and high school. So there's nothing in the book. It's, it's a Jewish answer to the Greek mythology. And Frank says, no, no, no. He says, in the Bible is the knowledge of God. Yeah. And instantly, it's like the fire of God got a hold of my heart. I'm, I'm 25 years old. I'm carnal. I'm selfish, I live for my own interest, and everything came to a screeching halt. I remember the moment, 40 years ago, I said, what did you say? He said, in the Bible is the knowledge of God. And wow. I, told, I told him, show me. And we embarked, Ashley, on a three-month Bible study. I mean, we would go for three, four times a week for hours at a time. We would start at 8 o'clock in the evening. We wouldn't come out of his study until 2, 3 in the morning. And we did it three, four times a week. We were just eating up the Word of God together. And he was not a big scholar, but he had the books, you know. We all, we have the books. You open the commentaries, the geography books, the history books, and we can tell the stories. And for three months, I am under this diet of the Word of God. Anything I wanted to know, he showed me. The creation of the world, the prophets, the kings, the judges, sin and righteousness, heaven and hell, Messiah and salvation, everything I was curious about, he shows me in the Word. And so now I'm still an unbeliever, but now I'm on a serious diet of the Word of God. Now I'm a, uh, I'm a miserable sinner because yeah. I'm under conviction. The Word of God is... It's amazing it, what the Word will do to you. Just the Word by itself. And that's why we are such believers in the power of the Word of God, infused by the Spirit to turn every heart to God. Three months like this, and I'm suffering under the conviction of Miserable. the Holy Spirit. Miserable yeah. sinner I am. Trying to party, yeah. full of the Word oh, of yeah, God. I am. Conflicted. Constant conviction and constant warfare. It was World War III in my heart. And I remember the day I came to him one day. I said, Frank, that stuff is killing me. I can't handle this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. He said, what do you want to do? I told him, I tell you what, if there is such a God in heaven, and he loves me like that, he gave his only begotten son for me, the Messiah of Israel. He came and walked among us and taught us and died for us and rose from the dead and he's coming back again with his kingdom. I told him, Frank, I don't want to read about him anymore. I don't want to hear about him anymore. I need to know him for myself. Wow. I remember the moment Frank looked at me, he was lost. He was kind of speechless for a little sure. bit. I know what he was probably doing, he was just praying behind his face. You know, I was like, Lord, what am I going to do with this Jew? He wants to know you. And he gave me the only 
appropriate answer. He said, you want to know God? I said, I must. I have to. He said, go seek him for yourself. Wow. That's powerful. Not a lot of people would have responded. No, he was very courageous. Yeah. You know, I mean, we pastored for years. We've been in and out of ministry for years. You help people come to Jesus. Sure. We bring them to the altar. You get them on their knees. You you lay hands on their heads. You put words in their mouth. We help one another. Right. He didn't help me at all. He said, you want to know God? Go seek him for yourself. I said, I've been to a synagogue twice in my whole miserable life. I wasn't a man of prayer. I didn't believe in the words. I didn't have any traditions. I didn't know how to pray. I said, how? How do you pray? He said, do you pray in English? Do you pray in Hebrew? Do I face east? Do I face west? Do I look up? Do I get down? Do, am I have to be on my knees? How do you seek God? He said, you figure it out. And I did, actually. I made up a little religion. Mm-hmm. And every night for hours, I began to talk to God in my little garden behind my student apartment. Yeah. For hours, I'm asking God big questions. I thought I'm going to be impressing the angels. Right. I, th- I thought heaven is really going to take note. Hey, Reuben is down there putting out a there's serious a, effort. There's that really intellectual <laughs> yeah, dude down there, there asking There's a questions. really smart guy, and we are impressed. I tell you, heaven was like, oh, 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 oh. heaven was <laughs> bored. And I realized, I also started to fast, because I remembered something from the synagogue days that fasting should impress the Lord. So yeah. I'm fasting as an unbeliever. For seven days and seven nights, and I'm talking to God for hours every night, and the heavens are silent, nothing. Not a word, not a bird, not a messenger, not an angel, nothing comes down. And on the seventh night, I came to the end of myself. It is a unique place to be in, and I miss it. When you're so poured out, when you're out of words, you're out of thoughts, you have no more ideas, I don't know how to seek God anymore, and he was still silent. And in that silence, actually, I realized that I was looking for God in a very Jewish way. Even though I didn't consider myself traditionally Jewish, I was very secular, as the majority of Israelis are. I was trying to connect with my Father, who is in heaven, without Jesus, of whom I just heard. Because Jesus, as you know, is a scandal for the Jewish mind. Right. He's it's a an offense. Yeah. He is meant to be a stumbling block. By that name, we have been herded into the Holocaust. By that name, we've been locked in the ghettos. Listen, the Muslims treated us better than the Christians over the last two millennia. And the Jews know it. A lot of Christians don't know their own history. The Jews do. Sure. And so I tried to find my father who is in heaven without Jesus. And I figured, first I'll connect with him. And later... Maybe, when I feel like it, yeah. I'll deal with this Jesus business. Sure. And on the seventh night... Putting the cart before the horse yeah. is what we would And think. you know, I know people who, who somehow connected to God without having a full understanding of the gospel. God has a million ways to draw people to his heart. But for me, he insisted. It's got to be through the sun. And I remember the moment, actually. It was the seventh night, probably two, three in the morning. By now, I'm hungry. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. Hey, I'm offended. I'm putting out a serious effort here. No answer from heaven. No one's paying attention. I was ready to quit. I was really ready to just be done with this religious mambo jumbo. And in that stillness of the second, those last seconds of my search, I realized what I was doing. I was trying to find God without Christ, without the Messiah of whom I just heard that he is the way, the truth, the light, that he is the only way to the Father. He paid the price, and I remember, I realized it's the only thing my father ever wanted to talk to me about. 
It was about Jesus. Yeah. And so the last question, it came out of my kishkas, we say in Hebrew. In <laughs> Translate that for me. Yeah, it came out of my guts. Out of your guts. My kishkas, the, yeah. the, the inner bowels of a person in, in, in struggle, in strife. I was yelling, I was shaking my fist. And I remember the question. I cried out to God, do I need him? Do I need the Nazarene to come to you, my heavenly father? And I knew if there will be no answer for this one, I'm done. I'm out of there. I'm going to go shake hands with the devils every morning, live my life like there's no God, and probably be dead in a couple of years because there was a sentence of death in my heart, and I was not interested in life. Do I need Jesus? Was my last answer, my last question. Yeah. And this one, God answered. Actually, the moment... You know, we talk about spiritual things, and, and, sure. and once in a while, God gives us a spiritual experience. Usually, you know, we sustain ourselves by the Word, by prayer, by good fellowship. But on occasion, we, we, we get a special touch. That was a super special touch. The moment the words leapt out of my mouth, the heavens opened like somebody took a zipper, unzipped the heavens, it opened up both sides like a scroll. And for a split second, actually, I saw the real universe and heard the voice of the Father with my own ears, and he spoke three words. Remember the word, the question was, do I need Jesus? And the answer came, yes, and amen. Wow. You need him. I was born again instantly. Right there in your garden. Right there on my own. Yeah. Kneeling in my own little garden right next to my marijuana patch, excuse my French, I was 40 <laughs> years ago. It was one of my jobs, and, and I didn't even know what happened to me. There was no pastor to explain. There was no elder to interpret. There was no deacon to baptize me. It was me and God, mano a mano, the way he wants it to be for all of us. Narrow is the gate, and he wants each one of us to have that experience. It's almost like a Jacob experience. Yeah. You were wrestling in that wrestling garden that night with that with yeah. yeah. And you know, if we wrestle long enough, and, and, and it's true for all of our friends, it's true for all everybody who's, who we hold precious in our hearts, I tell people, don't make it easy for the disciples. When people come to us in Israel, I tell you, the fish are jumping in a boat right now. So many people are responding to the gospel. And I'm telling my friends in Israel and all over the world, don't make it easy for them. Let the people wrestle with God. Let there be some fasting. Let there be some, some, some trouble. Let there be some, some strife in the heart because then it's real. And what God will give you, no man will ever take away. It's been 40 years ago, and the experience is as fresh today as it was right there in my little garden. That night, I was born again. It took me years to figure it out. And immediately with my salvation came the call to serve the Lord. So I, I joined a Bible study. I went to YWAM. I started to do uh, you know, discipleship training courses. I, I began to prepare myself for a life of service. Sure. And six months later, the word of the Lord came to me again clearly. He spoke another unique word. He said, son, now you can go home. They will not kill you. Back to Israel. Back to Israel. I packed my bag, drove my little car from Phoenix to New York, sold the car, bought a one-way airplane ticket, and landed in Tel Aviv 40 years ago as a believer in Messiah. Wow. What a powerful story. Reuben, thank you for sharing that with us. I hope that those that are listening today are blessed by that uh, as part of this Empowered 21 Leadership Podcast. Reuben, I'm going to ask you one more question. Uh, and that question is, for someone who's listening to this who... Uh, maybe doesn't know very many Jewish people in their life, or maybe they do. Maybe they have some friends that are Jews. Uh, how can someone best pray for the Jewish people 
to come to faith in Jesus? What would you say to somebody like that? Somebody who maybe is like a Frank was uh, in your life. How should they be praying for Israel and specifically for Jewish people to come to faith in Messiah? Yeah, I will tell you this, Ashley. First of all, it has to be spirit-led. So I would really encourage every person who cares to make a dent in that blindness that has shrouded our people for 2,000 years. And by the way, we have to recognize it is strategic. God made blindness. He placed the veil upon our eyes, and only He can remove it. So it's a God thing. Sure. And secondly, we don't save anybody. The Lord does the saving. But we bring people to the Lord. We, We apply the Word. We plead with them. We love them up. Regarding witness to the Jewish people, I I would advise all of our Christian friends, first of all, respect the heritage. We're talking about the roots of the olive tree. These people have a built-in knowledge that they're special and they're chosen and they don't know why. And so oftentimes, they become weird in their chosenness and in their feeling that, hey, God, we are the chosen people, but you ask most Jews, chosen for what? They have no clue. But it can breed pride and a sense of entitlement. So, so kind of ignore it, leap over it, and, and respect the heritage, respect the call of God on their lives, and bring them back to the Word. Most Jewish people have a built-in respect to the Bible. And a person can get saved by Old Testament scriptures without ever even quoting New Testament. We have evangelistic campaigns in Israel. We walk in the streets. We show people the text of Isaiah 53. But we don't tell them it's from Isaiah, and we don't tell them it's chapter 53, and we take out the verse locations, just the text. Just the words. Just the words. And we let them read it on the street, on camera. And we ask them, where do you think it's from? 100% of them say, oh, this must be from the New Testament talking about that Jesus. Yeah. So the Old Testament word can save anybody. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say for those who want to have an impact as part of God's movement amongst the Jewish people, which is promised for the end of the age, Pray, pray for them. Frank prayed for me. He wasn't a fancy theologian. He wasn't a scholar. He was a lay Christian who loved God, loved the Jews, dared to pray for 10 years to bring me home. Reuben, that's a powerful story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for listening to us today with our guest, Reuben Duran, on the Empowered 21 Leadership uh, Podcast. We would love to have you join us uh, in Jerusalem for Jerusalem 2020. Uh, It's going to be a powerful experience. We believe God's going to do some great things, and I guarantee it will change your life.